0: Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks, and welcome to my favourite time of the week. I'm really lucky to have an old friend of mine, uh, Colonel Gary Hearn, who's been a colonel of the army, full colonel, uh, and now is running the, uh, how do you describe it?
1: Yeah, uh, uh, we describe it as a divisional director, um, which essentially is, we run a master's, or I contribute to running a master's programme for all mid-level executives in the army, majors um, in strategy strategic um, trends that are going on in the world and leadership basically. fantastic yeah. fantastic yeah. and
0: um, so just keep an eye on, on our time um, so so Gary you know we were talking about who you find inspiring leaders and you had three examples so who would be your, your three that you'd want to talk about
1: yeah I think that he, I mean it's easy to pick Nelson Mandela um, because of his ability to turn the cheek when he could absolutely justifiably have gone the other way um, from a personal perspective, but he had that strength of character, world statesmanship to say, no, yeah. for the good of the nation, I need to do something different. Yeah. I need to embrace it. So I think, not just from a na- national perspective, or, but from a personal perspective, what a great strong message that is.
0: Yeah.
1: Second one, coming down a level, perhaps, the term um, commanding officer yeah, equivalent to sort of CEO of an organisation. I worked for a guy many years ago now, um, who during the Falklands campaign, after we'd finished the Falklands campaign, he encouraged me to go for a commission and had real belief in me going to do something, um, which is part of one of the philosophies I've sort of picked up and gone with. that Everybody has potential all the time, but sometimes it requires leaders to just reach in and help. And he was one of them. Um, And to give you an example of the strength of character, 35 years or so later, um, my sister-in-law also worked for him and as a soldier. So basically, we were shop floor lathe workers. Um, he's the CEO. He turns up at, a wed- at her funeral um, wow. and essentially said, well, I, I would send you to war. It's the least I can do. Um, that sort of attitude, real yeah. authenticity, yeah. real belief in people.
0: Roger was special.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good man. Uh, he's still around. still yeah. bounces around. Um, and the third is, I want to offer this person because, to me, there are leaders all over the place, but we just don't always see them. There's um, a guy called John Parks, who's was one of my students a few years ago. And John and I were chatting about, just in general, talking about things, where he'd come from, etc. And he said, you know, I didn't go to school until I was nine. Well wow. Of course, you have a step back. I was just going... Um, And I only went to school because I wanted to play football with more kids. That was his motivation to go to school. So he'd gone in and convinced his parents that he should go to school. They sent him to the local school. At 18, he turns up in his house again and says, "Uh, I joined the British Army. I thought there was nothing great so he joined the British Army. He's now sitting in front of me. He's got a master's degree. He's led soldiers on operations. He's about to take 120 soldiers in his leadership uh, domain. Uh, And he was a major in the army? He's a major in the army. Um, And then he said, uh, because my family were Irish travellers. Wow. Um, And now you can begin to see the friction that he went through. Now, not decrying Irish travellers at all. That's a community. Um, It's more that self-leadership to say, I wanted to do something I wanted to get something and I look at him and I think he's just a really great officer and a really great leader so I suppose those three layers Mm. and that I think to me is about leadership we can see the top ones very easy yeah they're everywhere yeah
0: Yeah. uh, it's been a a theme for you I think and and an important one Um, because I I think we'll talk about it in the second part in Inspire Leadership Extra where you know you began as a private soldier and you got all the way to the full colonel which is a huge achievement and I think many of the many of the listeners who, who haven't served in the army sort of have this image of white, uh, male, um, privileged, private-educated officers. They don't realise that there's quality coming from everywhere.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I mean, clearly, we've got some limitations, and, and like any organisation, trying to get diversity of thinking, particularly thinking, is important. Um, but I agree. I mean, I, I know... Brigadiers who started with private soldiers. I know generals and brigadiers who were orphans, um, come from Newcastle, come from Tottenham or wherever else. Um, There are many others who, 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 through ginger birth, went to Harrow or wherever. Um, Don't decry those either. That gives us the richness of society.
0: It does. does. And um, we were also talking about your, uh, some of our greatest learning comes from when we make mistakes. Many leaders, went I'm really worried if they say, "Do you know what? I've never made a mistake." That's a problem in itself. Yeah. Uh, you have a lovely, as well as the courage you have, for a man who's served in the Falklands War and things like that. You also have the humility to to talk about what you got wrong and what you learned from it. And, and what would be your story about what you got wrong and complications you got wrong
1: and what you learned from that, which has shaped you now? Okay, um, I think if I throw two in there, I, I, I again agree with you. So. Any leader who says they've never made a mistake, well, you've not learned either. So yeah. <laughs> think about where you are. Yeah. Uh, I, in decision making, I tend to use Adair's um, team task individual as a framework for me, not dogmatically, but it gives me a reference point on how to make decisions. And we were sending some people out on an exercise recently, a few years ago, and therefore it's a task that has to be done and it involves a team. So if somebody doesn't deploy, somebody else is going to take that burden or um, somebody else has to deploy. And an individual didn't want to go on the exercise and he came to see me and discussed it. But I knew the individual and I had a slight bias in terms of a bit wet, perhaps not the model that I was looking for. Um, And I said he had to go on the exercise. Um, That evening I saw him again and he was in... I said, what we call bits in the army, he didn't look in a good way. Yeah. And I realised what I'd done is use my personal bias to colour my decision-making. And yeah. I was wrong. Right. Yeah. Um, I told him, yeah, you're not going to the exercise and realise what had gone wrong. Um, so that would be one. Um, mm. The other one more on an organisational development piece. I was doing a, um, a restructuring of an organisation there. Rather bizarrely, given my background, I was given a defence higher education college to run, which was great. Um, and classic transform, restructure. So I set a target team off for three months, created a, a new structure, a new process, and I had a diagram, as we all do, nice wiring diagrams. And I used to have a professor who work with me. It was a hair typical hair. Can this uh, professor. This is a guy, beard, hair, sandals. He didn't say a huge amount. But he'd come into my office every so often and sit down in an armchair and say little or nothing. It'd be a pregnant pause. But I knew something good was coming. So I'm quite happy for him to do so. so he sat in the chair and I put this diagram in front of him and said, Stuart, restructured, brilliant. Here's the diagram, new organisation. And he's to that pause, pregnant pause, and then went, it's perfect. And of course my ego goes through the roof, this... Even Stuart said it's perfect. And then he said, it's therefore, it's brittle. And of course what's just happened? And essentially what he was saying is you created something perfect for today. The world's context continues to change. Therefore, it's brittle for tomorrow. That's what a strong wise. message. What? And very wise. Every time I go through a transformation-type program there, that's in my mind. Is it brittle? Is it brittle for the Yeah. Is it future proof? Is it brittle? Yeah.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. So, um, last uh, minute, really, before we um, we then switch across to the um, the podcast uh, recording with the extra session, uh, what would be your top tip you'd leave uh, the executives
1: with? Gosh, difficult, isn't it? There are many, many things. Um, I'd, I'd say leadership's about people. It's about others. Yeah. You can look at the leader if you wish, but ultimately, leadership to me is about getting people to do things, even when they don't necessarily want to do it. But to do it to the best of their ability, because we always get people to do things by position of, I own your salary or I have rank. But to do it to the best ability is what leaders should be seeking to do. So what is it that you're doing as a leader to achieve leadership? Mm. That's where, as you and I have done, and many others have done, at Sandhurst, we get told, produce your notebook that has all of your soldiers' names in there, their dates of birth, their spouses. Mm. Why? Because if I'm going to send somebody to war, yeah. or if I want to, somebody to work overtime when they may clash for their child's birthday, I'd better know about them.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Gary, thank you very much, my friend. No, John, um, like I have a huge child. respect for you and all that you've achieved throughout your career, from, from uh, Sigmund, private soldier, all the way to Falkin, but now running the Defence Academy.
1: It's an excellent career. Thank you. Well, I don't run the Defence Academy, but <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you. So welcome back to the Inspiring Leadership Extra. Uh, This is a dialogue session between myself and Colonel Gary Hearn. And um, Gary and I just talking about leadership, his own stories, and and a build on the earlier part of the podcast. So Gary, um, I I really find your, your life experiences fascinating. Do you want to just tell everybody a bit
1: about it? Um, yeah, so I, my father was in the army. Uh, my parents come from Liverpool. We I went to about eight different schools during my um, formative years. Great fun. Didn't come out with huge amount of qualifications. Had a little bit of time where we mutually agreed not to go to school for a period of time. I know where <laughs> I'm coming from, um, and eventually left the school system with very few qualifications and ended up being unemployed in the 70s for about seven months. Didn't really bother me. My motivation levels weren't particularly high. um, And I eventually drifted into the army, um, a little bit of help from my father, and um, ended up joining the army. I look back on that period and think, Regret not doing enough study, and I've subsequently had to study and really enjoyed it actually. Um, well, you've done
0: a lot of studies since. You've got all sorts of, yeah, you've got how many, you got two master's degrees? Three master's. Three master's degrees. So, so there you are, yeah. you know, growing up in, in a tough part of Liverpool, joining yeah. as a, as a signalman, private soldier, but yet here you are finishing up in the army as a full colonel with three master's degrees. Something yeah. to
1: prove, perhaps? Um, there's a little bit of that. <laughs> but, but I suppose it's when you enjoy something, you really yeah, bite into yeah, it. Sure. So if I go back to that, that, that would have been a regret. The, the positives for me is I loved it. We yeah. bounced around the world. And I had a great time. And um, you know, two brothers, really good fun. One's now got an MBA. One's a millionaire. And i really? where I am. So, wow. was, But I think it also teaches that you gain resilience from it. You, yeah, there's, there's not a formal qualification, but somehow it gives you that resilience that says, Hey, this has happened, that's happened, and yeah. you can still get on with things. So, who's your
0: football team? you support? Um,
1: well, I follow Swindon and I follow Liverpool. Oh, yeah, um, so yes, I uh,
0: a Liverpool match recently,
1: yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. lucky you, <laughs> yeah. Um, so and I love Klopp, I think Klopp's brilliant, he, re- he yeah. reflects leadership to me, and yes, ways. he does, he does, yeah. And he talks military tactics, by the way, does he, yeah, in terms of his uh tactics on the pitch so he right. uses military tactics in his football
0: that's very
1: is, interesting uh, yeah
0: it is interesting yeah in yeah so um that was the sort so of so back to you. so into the into the signals yeah. uh, what sort of age were you then uh, 17 17? 17 yeah. yeah
1: um and then
0: because you served in some quite interesting places didn't you I
1: served in Belize Vanuatu where there was a guy called Jimmy Stevens who actually took on the British might of the British Royal Marines and uh other attachments with bows and arrows. Really? Uh, yeah. If you look back through histories, I of think I was hearing ones. about this,
0: yeah. yeah Where doing, is Vanu- Vanuatu? Uh,
1: used to be in New Hebrides, sort of North Fiji, yeah. New Caledonia, way. Okay. Um, so very exotic as well. Yeah. And uh, then. Prior to that, I was off doing the ceasefire monitoring force in Rhodesia, Zimbabwe, oh, Rhodesia, right.
0: and that was where Mugabe came to fame. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's and right. you talked earlier about um, Mandela being inspirational. Yeah. But your point, I think, about Mugabe is an interesting one. Do you want to just yeah, uh, pick t- up on that?
1: <clears throat> well, I think you've got an example there. You've got two countries that are bounded to each other, very much linked in terms of their historical backgrounds. Um, Mugabe comes in, and you compare that to Mandela. And Mandela. Turn the cheek, and been locked away for 27 years or so, and could have very understandably gone the other way. Yeah, he didn't. He embraced what the country required. Whether he harboured those personal feelings or not, they didn't show because he knew for the good of the country that he had to go a different way. And thank God he did for the rest yeah. of us. Whereas. You know, if you look at Zimbabwe, it's an utterly beautiful, educated, resource-rich environment. Um, and we see many Zimbabweans coming into the British Army, um, and they're great, really good people. And yet, the leader who had the opportunity, that Scotland, Mandela then did later on, didn't take that opportunity. Because it was um,
0: called the bread, ba- bread Basket of Africa. Oh, that's
1: Zion, the yeah, whole place. Yeah, yeah. and
0: just yeah. laid waste to it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Tragic. Highly educated hmm. country as well. So in many respects, and I've heard the term before, I had a, an officer work with me who came from Zimbabwe, and this comes back again to potential, mm-hmm. worked in the kitchens when he came over here to clean dishes and eventually joined the Royal Air Force as an officer. And we had a discussion, a guy called Shep, and uh, Shep was telling me that he abhorred Mugabe, um, one generation on. His father thought Mugabe could do no wrong, right because for his father, Mugabe had removed the yoke of white oppression, yeah, one generation on we've now got fri uh, tension, yeah. democratic thinking, which is a good thing, but yeah. you can see those dynamics yeah you can.
0: so so back to so you din the ceasefire in Zimbabwe, uh right easier as it was then um what what else after that
1: out of Anwar to. And then shortly afterwards, um, off to the Falklands. So by the time. So
0: drift- this is all with 36 management, was 30. What a great oh, tour. Right. I mean, great experience. You'd never get anywhere else. No.
1: Um, so within sh- sort of three and a half years, bounced around the world, having been somebody with no motivation, yeah. drifted into something, who now had three and a half years of fantastic time with great people doing real jobs. And being well sent- led. And being well led.
0: And, um, and one of the other inspiring I talked to said that, I think it was Alistair Cad actually, you you don't realise when you're being well-led, but you know, it, or it, it comes upon you a few years later, you look back and you thought, I was at my best, I was just in flow, I was doing great jobs, I was given every opportunity and I flourished. But when you're being misled yeah. by a toxic leader, you know instantly and you know this is not working, what's wrong, is it me? Often people blame themselves. Do you not find, was that, were you well-led then?
1: I think we were extremely well-led um, and I think to add to the point about when you know you're well-led, you actually want to win. Mm. You want to, whether it's internal competition, you still want to be the best. Um, yeah. And that's from an individual f- to the next level of team and then ultimately in our case, to so a regiment and mm. then to an army. That yeah. You all want to win, which I think is indicative of a well-led organization. Yeah. The, I think the danger and I haven't been in this position, is if you're led, first of all, from a toxic leadership perspective. So how do you then set your reference point? Of
0: yes. What good if, that, if you begin your yeah. your career yeah. in business or yeah. in any organisation being badly led, how do you know that's not that's not right? Agreed. Things things are, It's not a good reference point. You
1: haven't got the role models. No. So. Um, and I was very fortunate in that...
0: And that probably set you up for success,
1: didn't it? I'm sure it did. Um, because, as you know, Jonathan, I've used it term before that um, everybody's got potential at the time but the important bit to that that's one side of the story the second part is that it sometimes requires leaders to reach in and unlock it therefore those leaders must have that mentality that i'm looking at people not just on what they are doing today but what they could become What yeah. am i seeing in there and then it's my job to bridge it for them. And help. Roger
0: Thompson did that with and you, didn't Roger he? Roger
1: Thompson was that sort And of tell it. the
0: story, how did, how did Roger do that with you, the um, commanding officer?
1: Well, from a regimental perspective, certainly when we deployed to the Falkland Islands, we were all. And divert. that was for the war, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Um, and we were spread amongst a number of regiments, um, infantry battalions. We all went there knowing we were absolutely at the pinnacle of our job, our trade. We were extremely fit, we were confident in our own ability. Now, he'd got the regiment into that position.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: Well, the mark of the man to me is that when we came back, as you know, he encouraged me to go to Sanders and he backed me to go to Sanders, which really important that's that leaning in again reaching in and unlocking
0: force and, and for people who are listening who uh, have not served in the army th- this is a really big step for someone who is a, a, a so, you Lance Corporal at this stage or? Yeah, sort of yeah. a Lance Corporal in the army and, and he was reaching in and saying I believe you should go to Santos and become a commissioned officer and come back and lead yeah. your colleagues you know be, be an officer and, and that's special it, it, and few make it through but those who do do incredibly well
1: it, it's special from the organizational perspective and an individual, but also, also I suppose it, it's other pieces, you know, I'm, I'm still only 21, 22 years yeah. old um, and you are shaped by your background. And my mm. background was not to go to Santos. Mm. I'm the guy who didn't get any qualifications from school. I didn't, you know, that, that's not my normal pathway and somebody else is offering me that pathway, knowing full well that I'm thinking in that way. Yeah. So I think that's strength and leadership. But I think the other part to Roger Thompson in particular is, um, unfortunately, and really sadly, my brother's wife died last year. Um, both my brother and I and his wife and my wife all served in Thirty Second Regiment under Roger Thompson. Wow. And Roger Thompson came to her funeral. Yeah. Now, uh, this is like a... CEO of an organisation turning up at a lathe workers funeral 35 years later yeah. and his comments were, well, why wouldn't I? I was prepared to send you to war. Yeah. And Powerful. to him, it was not an issue. It, that's what leadership is about. That's inspired. Yeah. That's yeah. inspired. Yeah. yeah.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. So he believed in you. You went to Santos. How did you find Santos? Because you were alongside young scroats like me, I and mean, we weren't there at the same time. But, you know, I, I came 18 years old, wet behind the ears, um, straight through the Army College, Welbeck College. And and I had friends like a mutual friend of ours, Rod Thomas, yeah. who had been a corporal in the Signals as well. And Rod had great experience. I learned a lot from him. He mm. looked after me. We were next door neighbors. So how did you find you mixed with the others, and what, what stood out for you?
1: Um, I loved it. Yeah. It was great fun. And as you know, you, you get such a spectrum of people from somebody who's been to Eton, off to Cambridge. Well, no, actually less people in university at those days. Most have been 18 straight from school. So they could have been to Eton, Charterhouse or whatever, or they could have been to a, a comprehensive school or somewhere else. More towards perhaps the public sector at the time, um, but it was great fun. Yeah. It was egalitarian. You were either good or you were struggling at something, but and, you pulled together to help each other.
0: And you had another uh, podcast member on this Inspiring Leadership Series who was in your platoon. Do you want to say about that? Who it? Wasn't it uh, uh, Johnny?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Johnny Gray was... Um, we were in the same platoon at the time. Uh, Johnny pipped me to... The leading position. I was second. He was top. Really? Um, and so was, he became JUO, and you he, became I was cadet sergeant. Cadet sergeant. He wow. was JUO, um, which meant he had to work for the last three weeks, whereas I could put my feet up when we knew who was going to be JUO. Yeah. Um, but Johnny, you absolutely deserved it. Um, great guy, knew his stuff. We just had a really good platoon. We had good fun. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I think most people look at it on that.
0: Yeah, and you and he must end well because uh, he got the Sword of Honour, which isn't just him, it's actually the whole of the platoon helps him get there. Yeah, absolutely. Which is the, the the award given to the leading cadet, isn't it? It of is. Of the leading platoon.
1: And then Johnny actually went on to gain the Sword of Honour. So of all the leading guys in each of the platoons, they then compete for the Sword of Honour, and yeah. Johnny gained our Sword of Honour. Yeah. So, yeah, um, fond memories of yeah. that time. And... Interestingly, twenty-seven years afterwards, we pulled together a black tie supper, and it was hilarious. Really? Yeah. For that uh, team. So the whole the whole team came together. That's nice. Um, yeah.
0: And then what after what after Santa's?
1: Off to as a normal route as an officer, platoon commander, thirty odd soldiers through to company commanders, one hundred and twenty, battalion commander, regimental commander, in five hundred or so, and um, then I picked up, rather ironically, given my performance at school, a. <laughs> Higher education college within the defence sector, yeah. which I chuckled away when they gave me that. So, um, but it was brilliant. Where, where is that based? Down at Blanford. where yeah. it was all the communications, information, technology, um, trades, people and officers. Um,
0: yeah. And what was your leadership lesson there? And wow, did you come across any inspiring leaders at any level um, that you met that stick with you now?
1: Yeah, I think oh, many, many leadership lessons, I think. Um, one of the key lessons I learned was about turning the organogram upside down. It sounds simple, doesn't it? Um, But I think it's more, that's the physical representation of a philosophy. And and it links to empowerment. Um, And I think we all recognize that when you have the time to empower, you gain so much. Mm. One, you get buy-in from people, but secondly, um, you also recognize that as a leader, you have one thing on your shoulders and that's one single brain. And if I've got 1500 people in the organization with 1500 brains, mm. why on earth would I not take advantage of those 1500 brains? That's very true. Um,
0: many many CEOs or leaders think they have to be the man or woman with all the answers. And that's a mistake.
1: I, I tend to agree. I mean, you can't be, can it? Yeah. Um, so you get a myriad of experiences. So that philosophy of I've got one brain and there's 1,500, but the other one was I used to turn the organogram upside down and publish it. So I'd be at the bottom, mm-hmm. my, I'd tell my bosses who'd come and visit, that, oh, by the way, you're below me. Um, and then you'd put those people who were delivering, so your soldiers would be at yeah. the top. And they'd have layers in between. And the beauty of doing it is it simplifies things.
0: You really. actually physically did that?
1: Yeah, yeah, and then you publish it. So i have this is where I became a bit directive. And I told nobody to publish the traditional one, but put this one up. Wherever you put up a diagram, it was this And what was the
0: impact? I I love it. Uh, And I've seen it done before. I I saw one uh, person who took on as a bursar of uh, a school and he, he took the organization chart and he turned upside down and he held it against his shoulders. And he went, I think these shoulders are wide enough to carry this lot.
1: Yeah, that's really good.
0: Which is nice. Uh, but, but, but what was the effect of turning the organization chart upside down? Okay. How did people respond?
1: It's, it's interesting twofold. One is, um, I think most people will get what I'm about to say is that when you are head of an organization, you have a team around you and they're really good and they're really important. But there's a degree sometimes of a reflection of a positional power. And therefore, because I'm in that place, Mm. I can tell people what to do. Mm. If you turn the organogram upside down, that small team around you also recognizes that that's your philosophy, and therefore they need to abide by that philosophy. So instead of asking people for information for your job, you ask that your team around you, asks ask them, what can I do for you? Mm. And it subtly changes it. Um, The other part is it, it allows you to reflect on in most organizations, if I took the soldiers away from that first layer, the army would die. It can no longer operate. If yeah. I take all my lathe workers away, I can no longer operate. Yeah. Shop front people, can't sell anything. Yeah. If I take my hierarchy away, we can still sustain ourselves for a period of time.
0: Mm.
1: So where's your critical point? Yeah. So even from an organizational perspective, not just from a personal philosophy, um, it makes sense to me. That about- is
0: relevant in every business that yeah. I work with. And I don't think people take that seriously enough. I mean, we, we talk a lot about surround yourself with an army of giants, hire the the, the best talent you can get. So, you, so you, you've got an army of giants bigger than mm-hmm. you in their specialist areas. But I don't think people think enough about who is actually meeting the customer, who is on the the front line of the job, and are they being supported and looked after? I don't think they are. Often, I don't think they are.
1: And and that has to be a leadership thing. and It's a bit like servant leadership. Mm, I think there's a bit more to it because ultimately, as leaders, you do have to make a decision. And, you know, that does fall on your shoulders. Um, So it isn't total servant leadership. It's like most of these things. People in my experience have tended to ask you to, it's either one of them or it's one of them.
0: Mm.
1: No, it's somewhere in between. Yeah,
0: nothing is ever black and white. It's it's, it's shades or or on a spectrum.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. And um, so what about some of the sort of leadership lessons for you? We've just been looking here at this inspiring leadership Compass, the the model that we uh, are running the series on, what makes inspiring leaders who are high performing and have great potential. Which of the elements of this sort of resonate for you and what do you want to talk about on them?
1: Let's start with moral to start with, because I think sometimes people see the word itself as something specific. Um, And I think I'm, I'm a bit simplistic and I'm try and picture things. And mm, one of the moral I I like yes. one of the moral approaches that has resonated with me is that it comes back to my own family. And mm-hmm. I think most of us will be in the space I'm about to say. We all ask our children whether they've done their homework or they tidied their room and they say, yes, 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 of course I have. And you know they haven't. And really it's a no, 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 but I haven't done it, but I'm going to tell you I've done it. So when my children were growing up, I used to moralise and They have told me i moralised on this. And I used to say to them, but you... That's fine. You only cheat yourself. You only cheat yourself. No, you don't. But what I'm really saying is that you know deep down, because you've now got that gut feeling that it is wrong what you've just done. Yeah. And we've all been there. We know that feeling. Mm. And ultimately, what you do is then, if you buy into that, when it happens again, you do the right thing. So you become to self-lead.
0: Yeah. Whereas the opposite, and I I know there's been many, many occasions when I've, got things wrong and tried to make things out better than they were or I'd done them when I hadn't done them. Uh, there's that sort of cold trickle of sweat yeah. um, which, which runs down your back and you sort of know or if you keep doing it again and again you begin to believe your own hype yeah. uh, and you sort of think that you're inviolate and you're sort of some superhuman who actually the rules don't apply to you. Mm. They apply to everybody else and I see this go so badly wrong in, in many businesses. Uh, I remember the time when, uh, I got it badly wrong. Um, a small story. I was, uh, working for the head of the army, Peter Inge, and I was his ADC. And, uh, he said, the only person that really matters is when my boss, that De- general Desmond, um, general Desmond rings up and I must go for lunch with him. And, uh, I got this call one day. Hello. And I said, hello, is uh, Jonathan here? I said, uh, there's General Desmond here. Um, lunch, the club, Thursday. And I said, oh, I'm terribly sorry. So the uh, generals were the prime minister that day. Um, well, what about you? And I said, what do you mean, Misa? Uh, come for the lunch with me at the club. Oh, thank you very much, Nisa. That's very kind. <laughs> but of course, I, I had no life because he had the diary. So so uh, it was, I was I, my, my life was following the general's life. I was his bag carrier, his ADC. So the day came and I was out doing some tasks. And then the next thing I knew was Colonel Nigel Hall, uh, had clearly been at the club and he came back and he said, Jonathan, and he looked really worried. I said, are you right, Colonel? You look a bit worried. He said, no, no, I, I'm not worried. I'm worried for you. I said, what do you mean? He said, where should you be? I went, oh no. And that trickle of sweat down my back because I realized I'd blown out my general's general. And uh, this old, lovely, retired guy who was ferocious and frightened the living daylights out of Peter Inge. And uh, i completely forgotten. And I thought, well, is, this is the case. Do, do I lie? Do I pretend I've had a cardiac? Yes. Or, or my house has been struck by a hurricane? It's just this, you wanted the ground to swallow you up. What do I do? You know, this is like the worst. I thought, I'm going to have to be truthful. Yeah. And so um, I rang up his home to apologize. And I got... Um, Lady Langley and, she, and I said i terribly sorry I've uh, forgot to have lunch with your husband she said oh my dear you are in trouble and I went oh <laughs> no I so I hung up and then I thought I must write a letter so I wrote a letter and um, apology and then I went in to see uh, the general and I stood by the door and he completely ignored me which was his sort of power play game and then eventually I yes, come. And I sort of padded across the carpet to his huge mahogany desk where he was scrawling fiercely on some letter. And I said, I've got these business cards, which he'd been wanting about the eighth iteration. It's now perfect, uh, various cha- tra- changes. And he looked at us, very good. And I stood there, I didn't move. He said, yes, what else is it? I said, uh, I've made a mistake, sir. "So oh, can't be that serious. What have you done? I said, well, I forgot to go to to lunch with your old boss. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh, this really is serious, he lost color. Um, You must ring him. I've rung him, sir. You must write to him. I've written to him. Just just go away, (laughs) just go away. And I I sort of slunk out of the room and and for a week he didn't talk to me. And then I get this phone call and this voice says, hello. I said, hello, Uh, General Devon here. Oh, hello, sir. Lunch at the club, Thursday. I said, for the general, sir. He said, no, for you. Uh, me and the general said, no, just you. I said, oh, oh, uh, 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 I won't forget, sir. <laughs> and he said, I know. the <laughs> And he went, and I went there, and he was charming. Yeah. Absolutely charming. And I've never forgotten it since. Yeah. But, but, like, you cannot lie. Yeah. You've got to face the yeah. truth and the consequences.
1: Yeah. So just to uh, match the story slightly, but it won't be anywhere near a match of that, but my to follow on from moralizing to my children, because they still remind me, I know they're adults now. Yeah. Um, While well, my youngest daughter was at university. She was doing some stuff in the laboratories and um, she watched a fellow student cut corners on a particular um, experiment. And she was telling me this over a beer. And she said, uh, you know, Dad, I found myself saying, Simon, for whatever his name was, you'll only cheat yourself. And she said, as the words came out of my mouth, <laughs> I was trying to push them back into my mouth. And she said, but the worst thing was, my supervisor heard them and said, Harriet, what have you just said? And I had to repeat, it. I mumbled through gritted teeth, oh, i only cheat yourself. She said, that's superb, that really means something. Did you get that, Simon? So, and of course, I was metaphorically punching the air when she was telling me. Yes. It, but, it was that. Um, but it is those moments yeah. of going, look, you know when it's going wrong. But I watched Enron again the other day and Daniel Lay, and as you said, people go the other way and they just perpetuate that problem and it builds up into the norm. Mm. But it's not the norm. No. But anyway, so...
0: Yeah. What, what, what else uh, resonates on, um, on the Inspiring Leadership Compass view? Legacy is important, I think. Yeah. So um, talk, talk about that and your experience.
1: I think legacy is that business of saying... It's having the humility of a leader, even if it's your business that you've probably grown yourself, yeah. um, it isn't really. There is a it legacy. isn't really your business. No, no, because there are people now working for you, and they're part of that business. So your legacy, when you hand it over, has to be in order for it to carry on with the good name that it has. Um, I suppose I slightly fortunate in the military space because to pinch her, Simon Sinek, Um, we have a just cause that's obvious Um, but when I'm given a battalion or a company or a platoon it's not my platoon yeah. It's not my company, it's the British Army's company.
0: And that of course has changed, because in the olden days they'd buy their regiment, yeah, yeah. and and they could be completely incompetent, but very wealthy, and go straight yeah. in as the first officer position they had was a commanding officer of a whole regiment of 500 yeah. people. Thank God it's not
1: that. Anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I wouldn't have bought one, would I? No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but, uh, but it is that... Social isn't... mobility at its best now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah.
1: And I think the word to me is custodian. You're a custodian yeah. of that organisation, and they for as a custodian. Mm. One, you have to look after it properly. Yeah. But secondly, I get paid a good wage to improve it. Um, And my, as we discussed before, when people bring an either-or decision to me, I will tend to say, then we'll make the decision then because you know what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not a problem. There's no complexity into it. That's why I get paid. It's to deal with the complex. You, You get on and make that decision. That's good. But equally... I get paid to improve it yeah. Um, and it's not continuous chain and transformation, it's always seeking to improve where we are um, and I think that's the legacy piece. Now, it sounds it's, you know, it sounds sort of pompous, I don't mean it to be pompous, I think it should be a routine business yeah. that we should expect all our leaders to want to improve the object yeah. Sometimes improvement may be standing still yeah. for a period of time because it's just in flux and nobody knows what they're doing. Mm. Um, But our job is not to make the black and white decisions, that's other people's.
0: Well, well, you've triggered for me a number of great things, Gary, with your experiences. Uh, One is um, really building on what you just said. Sometimes people call legacy, that it's stewardship, that you're looking after it for a period of time to hand it on to somebody else better than you found it. And that really in your legacy, in your life, you could, there's sort of three categories I um, described. One is that you live a a life of survival. You just get by. The next one is you have a life of success, but the interesting one, the top of the pinnacle of the pyramid is, is a life of significance, that you, you make a significant difference. and. And I think, for example, just of my wife's charity for vulnerable young girls, the Inspiring Leadership Trust, where if she just changes the life of one of these yeah. vulnerable girls who's been abused and she can then go on to university, she's made a difference to that one person. And, and you're someone in your leadership style, I know, who reaches down and makes a difference to individual people. You see them as individuals, don't
1: you? I do. But I also think it's a real... It's the two Ps. It's a privilege and it's a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, I, In the job, as you know, I finished regular service um, Mm. four years ago and had the opportunity to come back and do the job that I'm doing at the Mm. moment, which Mm. is helping people to develop. My wife asked me one of those questions that only somebody who knows you really well can ask you a question. Um, When I was offered to come back again, three months after having left. And the question she asked me was, would you have left the army at the point you had to leave through contract? At that point, had you not had to leave? What a deep, pointed question. And, of course, I had to think about it. And the answer was no, I wouldn't. Why? Because it's great fun. It's enjoyable. You have a purpose. You get up in the morning. And in the job that I'm in at the moment, just talk to people who are, you know, 10, 12 years into their career, Mm. who are going to lead our organisation on in the future and just to help them clarify something or just watch them progress and watch them go way beyond where you can think. Mm. And you're just thinking to yourself, again, that metaphorical punch in the air. What a wonderful feeling to have when you go to work.
0: Um, And and it is so lovely to to hear that. And, of course, it, it was interesting, it just reminded me that you're working for General Andrew Rowe, who yeah. was a, yeah. a, a fellow officer of mine in the House when I who, served who, there.
1: If I may, John, he's the guy who runs the academy.
0: Yes, yeah, that's <laughs> right, we just, we laughed about that's that, right. I got I gave you I gave you a promotion, um, but not to undermine you know the, the the good work you're doing. But I think uh, we learn such a lot when we have a job we love. We, I think someone described it to me once as I'm living my life on purpose rather than yeah. off purpose. That's really good. And it's almost like um, when you near here is the Barbican and around the Barbican, because it's quite complicated to get around the different layers, they, they've got a painted white line, a deeply uh, thick painted white line, which as you go around, you can follow it. But at times it's got scrubbed out by wear and tear over the years. And it's a bit like that in life, that, that that's your purpose. That's your living life on purpose when you're following that line. But often you come along and the line's gone. And so where do you go? And then you find it again later on. But, but it's a bit like a, a flight from here to New York. They don't actually fly on the line between here and New York. They're often blown off course. Yeah. Uh, and they have to get back on a bit like mindfulness. You, 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 you're trying to be mindful and then your brain goes off and thinks about something else and you've got to bring it back. You drift off and bring yeah. it back. And, and we've been very fortunate in the jobs that you and I have had. And, and, and I, I love this job. It's like never working a day in my life it, because it's, has such meaning and purpose, and I'm a curious person. I like learning from people like you and others. But very few actually have jobs where they feel it's fulfilling and they're living their life on purpose. It's just making them money and and paying the mortgage.
1: Yeah. I think if we sort of, I don't know whether we come into conclusion, but um, I
0: think about five minutes. I I think
1: that's really interesting. And and in many respects, I think it might wrap around having the time to actually think about what is meaningful for you. Um, And as you are aware, when we finish in the regular army service, you end up with a stack of time at the end where you've accrued leave and you get time, a block of time. So around about three months. Um, And during that period, I was really, really fortunate to try and crystallize what it had meant for me. And I wrote it down in a book. Mm.
0: have you but published it,
1: it yet? Yeah, it's on Amazon. What's it um, called? Learning to Lead. Learning to Lead. Yeah. But, Learning but to Lead the,
0: by Gary Hearn.
1: <laughs> but it's, it, the important thing for me was uh, it gave me the time to think about what it meant for me, what, yeah. what was the purpose. Far too late, you Now 35 years into it, Career. And yeah. I would now say to most people, at some point relatively early, and I think we all get it reasonably early, try and find the time to crystallise what it is meaning for yeah. you. Yeah. And really, really think about it. And what it is you've learnt thus far, but what it is that's flicking your switch. What is it that... That working experience, that life experience, is meaning to you because that's yeah. your line. That's the line I think you've just been yeah, talking about.
0: It is, but I, I I do love the name of your book, Learning to Lead, and uh, I will I will read it. I look forward to reading it. Um, and and it reminds me that uh, there was one quote uh, I quite enjoyed reading that all leaders are readers, but not all readers are leaders. And and you've just epitomised that because you've found. And I was a late developer. You know, I, I was dyslexic and had what I think they call dyscalculia, which is a problem mentally with numbers. And I didn't do my degree early on. I did it much later in my time in the army. And then I did my MBA, and, I, and I've been just voraciously consuming books. Yeah. Um, so my way of learning is audio. So I will read, in inverted commas, 80 books a year on yeah. neuroscience and leadership yeah. and nutrition. Uh, and I'm desperately keen to absorb that and then share it with, with others. Uh, and you've clearly done the same. You're, you're, you're learning to lead now even more so than before, aren't you? So you can pass it on to others.
1: If, if I take any clip from this uh, interview, this discussion we're having for my wife, it's that last moment because she will dislike you intensely Jonathan Because you've just reinforced the fact that we need to go to Waterstones every week <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm in the same space I just read massively Part, it may well be reaching back to the fact that I didn't do it when I was yeah. much
0: oh, I'm, sure I'm, I'm trying to prove the uh, the teacher who told me when I was six that I was thick and I was going to be a dustman and because uh, I couldn't spell and I couldn't do my maths. She'd written me off mm-hmm. before I'd even begun. This was a teacher. Yeah. And, and for, for years, I think I was about 30 before I actually stopped saying to people when they said, oh, you did a good job there, John. I went, no, no, I'm thick. Literally, I gave myself the lip. I am thick.
1: Really interesting. As I was driving up to the station this morning, Radio 5 were running a program on exactly that on dyslexia um, mm. and its associated uh, identification, yeah,
0: right.
1: and the number of people who phone up in the same position, yeah, and it, to, it comes back to that piece to me as everybody's got potential yeah. all of the time. Somehow we need to reach in and unlock it. So, um, yeah, but I the the reading reading to me is just part of me, yeah. um, and I, I try to. Sum it up the other day with somebody who said, uh, from another thing I was doing, so come on, tell us, tell us how you'd wrap up your sort of career philosophy personally. And I, I think now I'd go live it, love it, learn from it.
0: That's a great way to end. That's a really good way. Gary, thank you very much indeed. It's been thank an thank absolute you. pleasure having you on the, uh, the this, this series. I think you have a lot of wisdom that you've accumulated and others will benefit from. So thank you very much. That's indeed. really kind, thank you.